Success meant nothing to Adam if he hadn't done it for himself. Chapter 14, page 132, The Raven Boys. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And And we're we're the the Raven Raven Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle podcast. Where we talk about four dysfunctional teenagers and their socially awkward shitbird of a Latin teacher. And furthermore, we don't like him very much. (laughs) (laughs) This is episode four, and we're covering chapters 12 to 14 of The Raven Boys. And we will also be taking a deep dive on dowsing. So a little bit of a content warning. These chapters do deal with Adam's abuse in detail. So we do want to make sure, even if you've read the books, that you are aware that we will be discussing that. If you need to take time away, that's perfectly fine. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you might want to have read the books before you listen. We'll be using the pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers will be from the paperback where available. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a Teen Plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, but hopefully no gray man violence. All right, let's get to the episode. All righty. Well, this is a take two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't have any characters to talk about this time. We're going to save 300 Fox Away for next episode, which will be covering the boys and their tarot reading. So Mm. figured that it'd be a much better place to put them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get straight into chapter 12. It's a Gansey POV chapter. Gansey goes to pick up Adam for school outside of the lifeless trailer park where Adam lives, but he never shows. Disheartened, Gansey meets up with Ronan before Latin class, where they both worry about Adam, bicker about the baby raven, and find their Latin teacher a bit disturbing. Yeah, and I can feel Gansey's panic in the very first line. Of this chapter, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, the setting and the tone in the very first paragraph is just so bleak, Mm -hmm. because Gansey doesn't even... First off, he's thinking back to the first time he came to pick Adam Uh up. And Gansey says that he didn't even recognize this as a driveway the first time he came here. It was for Gansey. He pulled up. He literally used the driveway to turn around and head back the way he'd come. Mm -hmm. For Gansey, it was a place where he could just escape from. And Adam is trapped here, but Gansey isn't. Right. And then there's just this really evocative language throughout the first couple of paragraphs, like a clustered herd of mailboxes, which just makes me think of like something that's got its shoulders up. Right. And then empty space and a lot of it endlessly flat more colorless which is also how adam is often described no shadows anywhere in the world the sun is bright but with no shade whatsoever desiccated dry the rain avoids it i mean basically this place is described as lifeless right or just having like a facsimile of life it's just all dust right and there is there the first time that gansey did come to pick up adam and he actually did drive down the driveway to adam's trailer Adam's father had charged out, firing on all cylinders. So this is the very, very first time that Gansey even comes to the house. Mm-hmm. And Adam's dad is aggressive and volatile right off the bat. Right. And then the SRF, the soft, rich, 
blank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen people use the F word, fucker, right. uh, as that, the F word. That's what I thought. And I, I almost, because Maggie doesn't shy away from using right. fucker elsewhere, although this is a Gansey. Ronan says it all the time. I mean, yeah, but, but this is a Gansey POV chapter. And right. We do kind of get that in the last episode. We talked about how Gansey... He doesn't cuss. He uses a word that Helen taught him. Uh-huh. So possibly it's just because it's Gansey POV that he doesn't use the fucker word. Mm-hmm. But I've wondered in the past if it was actually the other F word, which I refuse to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, then again, there's that kind of like, you know, why would Ronan mock that or are, would right. they be mocking that? And But again, Ronan does mock himself. He does. Yeah. And as always, the description of the pig is just amazing. <laughs> yes, always. She's just so good at description of cars. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> it's kind of she's what she loves. So write what you know is what mm-hmm. they say. So Gansey calls Monmouth and Noah answers. And Gansey says Noah should call him if he hears from Adam. Mm-hmm. Is Gansey expecting Noah to be home? And like, why is Gansey not surprised that Noah hasn't left for school already? Because it's like 10 minutes before school's supposed to start. Right. But it's also much, much closer from Monmouth to the actual school. Uh-huh. Because Gansey has driven 15 minutes to Adam's place and has, has to, to drive then 15 drive 15 minutes back. Minutes back. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, technically, Noah could even ride his skateboard or whatever. Uh-huh. Noah doesn't That's have true. a car that they know of. <laughs> but he could be walking to Aglenby from Monmouth and probably get there in 10 minutes. Right. So him saying, I won't be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that Gansey, when he's on the phone with Noah, he's like blames Noah for letting him leave the journal at right. Nino's the night before mm-hmm. during the fight. And Gansey just feels so unmoored without the journal. It's like right. a safety blanket for mm-hmm. him. I mean, and, it is it is very much a part of him. Right. Yeah. And you were mentioning the I won't be here line. Mm-hmm. I won't be here, said Noah. I'm almost gone already. Your second time through or so, that's just, that hits right. you so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Where does he go when he's not around? Yeah. That's a good question. And Gansey calls the house, but he internally recognizes that Adam's mother is unlikely to answer the phone. Mm-hmm. Which, again, shows that he's done this many, many times before. Right. Let's point it out that Gansey is much more involved and focused on academics here at mm-hmm. Aglimby mm-hmm. than he was at any of his other schools. Right. And he used to make his search for Glendower, his, right. his primary activity, and then school was a right. distant second. right. Yeah, it definitely says that he had gone to several boarding schools mm. in his four years of underage wanderings. Yeah. And that all of them were much easier than Aglin B ever yeah. was. So it mentions that like anything less than a B average and you're out. And I'm just mm. like, man, that seems so harsh. Yeah. Yeah, it is actually. But I mean, I suppose if that's their academic, uh, you know. And that does lead to, I mean, Ronan up to this point has had a B average. Right. He's Otherwise not a, he would have been out. Yeah. He's not a stupid guy. Oh, absolutely He's obviously not. able to put himself to work when he needs to. But this little internal monologue with Gansey sets up Declan coming to Monmouth and talking to Adam with the letter later and Declan saying to Gansey, you know, you better keep him in school. He's mm-hmm. not going to get a B average this time around. 
And it makes it even more heartbreaking since Gansey's having this kind of internal thought process here that it's the interaction, the fight with Robert Parrish that motivates Ronan to go back and really apply himself. Right. right. He does it for later. Adam. He does it for Adam. Yeah. He can't even do it for Gansey, but he'll do it for Adam. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of staying in school, Gansey's talking about how his father had mentioned if Gansey couldn't hack it at private school, he was out of the will. And he said it nicely over a plate of fettuccine. Yes, yes. Very pleasant, those Gansey's. Very pleasant. Yeah, I, I just... That just... Yeah, I, yeah, I just I could, that I could, well, I can, And I could totally picture it, uh-huh, too. Me, too. I just... Just absolutely. Just totally. in the middle of dinner. Yes, the yeah, of dinner. If, you, uh, if you can't hack it at Aglenby, you're out of the will. But enjoy your dinner. Yeah, enjoy your dinner. <laughs> uh-huh. And then Gainsey just panicking more and more. And he felt the old fear creeping slowly out of his lungs. Don't mm-hmm. panic. You were mm-hmm. wrong about Ronan last night. You have to stop this. Death isn't as close as you think. Right. And I'm just like, Gainsey just lives in fear that one or both of his best friends are just not going to be there. Well, yeah. I mean... And I'm just like, gosh, what a toll that must take. Yeah. It's definitely the description of another panic attack. We got mm-hmm. the first one last night where he starts to have that sort of breathless feeling. Are they a daily occurrence? Is he even recognizing that he's having these panic attacks? Or is it just something that he's lived with it's for just so long? And then death isn't as close as you think. He thinks to himself, which is dramatic irony, considering that we know that he will die. Right. And that he will also be drawing the death card later mm-hmm. that afternoon. So it's, it's right. pretty freaking close. And like, <laughs> and like, there are quite a number of deaths in this series. Well, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's close in a number of yes, ways. Yeah. And then he makes it to school and he's hanging out with Ronan and it mentions that Ronan was head of class in Latin Mm -hmm. and studied as if his life depended on it. And I feel like in a lot of ways it does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, with the dreaming, as we find out later, that Latin definitely plays a big part in that. Right. Studied joylessly but relentlessly, which is it is a pretty apt description of Ronan Mm -hmm. and his life right now. And then it's like directly behind him was Adam. I know that's just supposed to be descriptive, but right. I'm, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that just feels so right and so sweet. Oh. <laughs> and Adam studied relentlessly because his future life did depend on it. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Gansey is talking about why he decided to take Latin. Right. When Helen asks him, he said, there's very little purpose in a language that couldn't be used to translate a menu. <laughs> and he's like, but really, French was just easier for him. Mm-hmm. And he resigned himself to taking Latin Mm -hmm. rather than the easier French, even though Ronan's being good at it robbed it of any urgency. Right. He feels like he has to justify everything he does Mm -hmm. and frame it in terms of what people expect from him. Right. And Ronan's worried about Adam, too, because as soon as he sees Gansey, he's, like, knocking on Gansey's arms and, like, have you seen Parrish? Right. Yeah, because Ronan actually would have had classes with Adam prior to this meeting. So Ronan's eyes look like he hadn't slept in days. And he's been having issues sleeping at Monmouth, which is why he went to the church. So he got a little bit of sleep the night before, but not much when he dreamed Chainsaw. And then (laughs) poor boy needs a cell. And it's like, Ronan, you class of shit. When I first went through these, obviously, I went through the audiobooks and listened Uh to them many multiple times 
But I didn't realize that the poor boy was capital P, capital B. I actually thought that he was like being sympathetic. Instead of insulting (laughs) Adam. Instead of insulting. And then I read it and I was like... Wow, the details you miss when you have the audiobooks. I'm like, you're a fucking douchebag. You're an asshole, Ronan. Well, we knew that. Well, yes, yes. He will always be an asshole. My favorite asshole. (laughs) So Gandhi does a mental recounting of the argument over the cell phone, which only ended when Ronan did something more offensive than either of them could accomplish. (laughs) Which, okay, so he does this multiple times throughout the books where he just crosses the line basically Mm. to break up tension or break up an argument in some way. So do you think he does this offensive thing on purpose? Oh, probably. (laughs) He's like, look, you guys, you're pissing me off. You haven't talked in a week. I'm going to be, I'm just going to do something that's going to make you both hate me more than you are mad at each other right now. But yeah, he's definitely good at diffusing tense situations. Good. Mm. I'm kind of air quoting there. Good at diffusing tense situations by being an asshole. And the argument of the cell phone you were talking about is argument between Gansy and and Adam. Adam. Correct. With Gansy offering Offering, right, right, right. Offering offering to help Adam mm, with the cell phone. Correct. And then there's a yell across the courtyard and Ronan knows exactly who is yelling at him and he is ignoring him Uh 100%. And my note in the book is, Kavinsky! (laughs) And then it's like, huge smiley face, huge smiley face, exclamation point, exclamation point, huge smiley face. Because it is really, it's the first time we see Kavinsky. Uh And then Lynch, I'm gonna fuck you up. It's like... (laughs) Watch out, Kavinsky. Your thirst is showing. Mm-hmm. Some people don't take losing very well. And then Gandhi's like, well, don't don't tell me you've been racing again. Ronan's like, well, then don't ask. Right. Yeah. <laughs> did Ronan ever stop racing? I, I don't think so. I, I, I doubt he did, really. Yeah. <laughs> and then Gandhi contemplated if he could give Ronan a curfew. I'm like, Daddy Gandhi. Oh, yeah. My note was like... It literally, I just wrote the word dad in front of the sentence in my book. It was like, Dad Gansy contemplated whether he could give Ronan a curfew. Yeah. And then Gansy notices mm-hmm. notices the big bigger bag. Right. And he's like, oh my gosh, you have that bird. Uh-huh. And, and Ronan's like, she has to be fed every two hours. Well, how do you know? Jesus, the internet, Gansy. That whole exchange yeah, is no, just... No, <laughs> they're freaking hilarious. They're so funny. Yeah. I forbid you to throw it out in a classroom. They're just, they're sniping at each other. They're like, they're married. Uh-huh. They're all married, really, is what's happening. And so they make their way to Borden House, and Gansy notices Welk's hesitation when they come in. Mm-hmm. And he thinks Adam's suspicion was really starting to rub off on him. I had a revelation when listening to an editing episode two where we talked about whether or not Adam was just suspicious. Uh-huh. And he's suspicious of Ashley. He thinks that there's someone watching Gansey the whole time. You know, the book checked out in the library, all of that kind of good thing. And there is someone watching Gansey. And, you know, we talked about this, but I've totally forgotten. <laughs> you who- forgot. Okay, good. <laughs> Henry! Yes, that's yes, right. Yes, yes. That's so, right. Because his mom was like, we, you gotta yes, do this. Yes, so Henry <laughs> is actually watching Gansey at this time, which 
I did not put two and two together uh-huh, until I was see, going back through it. You don't see Henry until like the fourth. Right. It's a fourth It book. is a revelation that happens in the murder hole. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. And then I love this line. Despite his interest in Latin, Ronan had declared their Latin teacher a socially awkward shitbird earlier in the year and further clarified that he didn't like him. Right. Because <laughs> just in case nobody knew, Ronan didn't <laughs> like him. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am friends with socially awkward shitbirds. And- right. <laughs> But furthermore, and Gansey thinks Ronan wasn't a good judge of character, which I find to be patently false because Ronan actually, if you look at all of his interactions with other people throughout the series, he's actually a really solid judge of character. Mm -hmm. And the only person who ever ever seemed to like Welk was Noah. So really, Noah is a shitty judge of character. character. Mm. Because I doubt that Welk was different. Right. I mean, we we basically established... He doesn't change. He does not change in the seven years. Mm. Mm -hmm. Here's that place you mentioned a couple of episodes ago that Gainsey did try to make a connection with Welk. Right. And it just couldn't find an end. Yeah, if Welk wasn't a socially awkward shitbird, he probably would have heard about Glendower and the right, Leylines exactly, prior because Gansey talks about it constantly. Constantly, correct, yeah. We also note here that Gansey and Ronan are already making excuses for why Adam isn't there. They're right. making excuses for him. Yeah, my note in my book was, no! It's like, oh, oh, oh. It's like no, don't do that. Like, so heartbreaking. Mm. Right. There's a bit on page 115 where Gansey talks about how the quest feels without Adam there. Right. Mm-hmm. Usually Gansey would have basked once more in the odds of Ronan finding a raven. But at the moment with Adam missing, his quest didn't feel like magic. It felt like years spent piecing together coincidences. And all he had made from it was a strange cloth. Too heavy to carry, too light to do any good at all. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So they're chatting before class and Welk sneaks up on them, basically, and comments that Ronan seems to be carrying an awfully large bag. And I, I love because this is just Ronan being a shit. You know what they say about men with large bags? And he says something in Latin that basically translates to, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. <laughs> so, and I totally did not. Oh, it's so good. Uh-huh. Ronan is so funny. I totally did not translate that. So, That's so basically, funny. Ronan's flirting with the Latin teacher. Uh, so, I mean... It's better than picking off scabs, so points. Yeah, I guess. I guess he's moving up on the flirting game. I don't know. (laughs) And then Gansey's like, being a shit in Latin isn't the way to an A, Gansey said. And Ronan's smile was golden. It was last year. He's so fucking pleased with himself. (laughs) He really is. He always is. (laughs) Yeah. And then they think Adam never showed. And I say again, no. Oh, man. Poor Adam. Poor Adam. 
So we don't have a great place for the deep dive in this episode. What ended up happening is that we wrote a ton of deep dive for the previous episode with the ley lines and we had dowsing in there as well and (laughs) realized we had a lot of information. So we just split out dowsing. We're just going to put it in here. Yeah, because we couldn't think of anything that was specific to this section anyway. So we were just like, let's just... We already had it written. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to start out with just a little basic information about Mm -hmm. dowsing. Dowsing is a type of divination meant to reveal hidden things. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, it's been used to search for water, minerals, oil, grave sites, pretty much anything else hidden or underground. Mm -hmm. Dowsing as we know it, like specifically today, Mm -hmm. may have originated in 15th century Germany, where it was used in attempts to find metals. Mm Mm-hmm. And Georgius Agricola's treatise on mining, De Re Metallica, on the nature of metals. Metallica! <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I just think it's funny that you waited for me to make that joke. <laughs> which was published in 1556 there are very specific instructions on dowsing for ore metal yep metal (laughs) so as early as 1518 martin luther listed dowsing as something that broke the first commandment which i think is so weird well it's like he specifically called out dowsing Yeah, it's anything that's occult or fortune-telling. Okay. Breaks the first commandment. Now, I found a bunch of (laughs) uh, various websites, obviously, that claimed that dowsing tools had been found in the pyramids and found in cave paintings, like... 30,000 years ago and all of this kind of stuff like Confucius had a quote on dowsing and Mm -hmm. the Bible had a quote on dowsing and the problem was that I could not find any actual scientific papers backing up any of these claims on these these various dowsing websites. Just like nothing that could be verified. Let's put it this way. They had a picture of the cave painting but it was like a dude holding a forked stick. Which could be anything. Which could literally be anything it could literally like come on you guys that's like confirmation bias to the nth degree Mm -hmm. and when i actually found the passage of the bible that supposedly referenced dowsing it was this passage that was of like a weird translation of the bible and then when i looked at the king james version it didn't even seem to be about dowsing in different versions so it was Mm -hmm. really very 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 odd so we do have a bit of a poem an epigram by Samuel Shepard from Epigrams Theological, Philosophical, and Romantic in 1651 runs thus. Some sorcerers do boast they have a rod. I'm not going to snicker. Gathered with vows and sacrifice and born about will strangely nod to hidden treasure where it lies. Mankind is sure that rod divine for to the wealthiest ever they incline. It's a really interesting little poem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one early attempt to explain the phenomenon people think they see when, mm-hmm. when they're dowsing was that the rod was being affected by emanations from whatever the person was looking for. Right. Like something would come up, some kind of molecule or something would come up from whatever Which they were weird, looking for. Which is weird because they didn't know molecules existed. Yeah, well, well some, kind of, some kind of emanation <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. would come mm-hmm. from whatever they were looking for and get into the rod and make it dip down right. to what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. 
By the late 19th century, it was thought that dowsers were using cryptesthesia, which is unconscious observations of the environment that led to involuntary movements of the rod. Right. And today, the common theory is something similar, which is called the idiomotor effect. Correct. Yeah. Which is involuntary hand movements right. or muscle movements um, mm. brought about by an image or an idea. Right. It's what the Ouija board supposedly works on. Or, right. Or yeah, it's the same. It's pendulums the same, same thing. like that. Mm-hmm. So traditional dowsing rods were Y-shaped twigs or branches. Hazel, witch hazel, peach, and willow were all often used. Mm-hmm. The dowser would hold onto the prongs of the Y and walk slowly over the area where the hidden thing was thought to be. And then the stem of the Y would twitch or dip when the discovery was made. Right. And modern dowsers often use two L-shaped metal rods. Right. Or glass or plastic are also used sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or even made from a bit of coat hanger like the kid in... Right, in Montana. In Montana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the rods are held loosely by the short arm which is vertical and then the long arm is horizontal over the ground right then the long arms will start straight out will cross to make an x over whatever you're looking for yeah and i actually told the story about how i learned how to douse which this is exactly the way so there's also pendulums which are crystals or other minerals suspended on a chain and they can Mm -hmm. actually be anything i mean pendulums can literally be a washer hung on a piece of twine but they're also used for divination and dowsing and most often what you're doing with a pendulum is you're asking a yes or no question Mm -hmm. and you ask the pendulum show me what a yes answer looks like and either it'll swing back and forth left and right or it might go in a clockwise position or whatever but you're asking what motion shows yes and then you ask what motion shows no Mm -hmm. and so you just remember that and you can often have a sheet of paper or some sort of cloth that you lay out that will actually have the motions on it right so you're basically holding the fob of the pendulum and then there's the bob of the pendulum which is the heavier bit you can use this to locate objects by using a map it's fairly simple you take a map of whatever area you're trying to find something in so if it's the state of virginia you would quarter the map and then hold the pendulum over the map and say, is this object that I'm looking for in this quadrant? Mm -hmm. And you'd basically wait for it to answer the question and then you'd move on to the next quadrant until you get a yes answer. Mm -hmm. And then you would quadrant that portion and then you would go quadrant to quadrant there Mm -hmm. until you got a yes answer. And then you would just continue narrowing down your path of search, right? Right. Which is why it was like, literally he was taking dowsing rods all up and down the eastern side seaboard that makes no sense (laughs) just get a map gansey and like Mm -hmm. use a pendulum right so you can also do it in your house like if you're looking for lost keys and you walk into a room and you say are my keys in this room right and then you know yes or no etc etc until you find a room and then you can be like are they in this corner are they on the couch etc right it's relatively simple once again as we said in the ley lines episode hasn't been proven to work exactly (laughs) yeah and there have been several unfortunate incidences of equipment that looks like high-tech dowsing rods being passed off to like militaries and police that just didn't do anything right like they've just been like searching for ordnance and right for for like explosives or explosive devices or whatever right just like there's just nothing in them and they just don't do anything Right, right 
I also wanted to recommend the episode of Ono, Ross, and Carrie mm-hmm. on dowsing. And uh, Ono, Ross, and Carrie is a podcast by Ross Blotcher and Carrie Poppy right. on the Maximum Fun Network. They meet with a dowsing group in Southern California mm-hmm. and they learn about dowsing and they test it out. Right. And, you know, disclaimer, they're a skeptical podcast. Right. And so their experience with dowsing does not lead them to believe that it actually works or to change their mind on the supernatural and paranormal. Right, right. But, Which, I mean, I've listened to some, although not all, and they nothing has led oh them no. to change their mind no, on But it, it's still so. really interesting. No, no, no. I do enjoy the fact that they actually, it's almost like investigative journalism where they're like going oh, undercover. Yeah. yeah. They go undercover with these groups. I mean, I kind of feel bad for some of the groups because like... Oh, God, the Mormons. The Mormons! <laughs> I know! <laughs> they're so sad! I felt bad about that I one. Know. But yeah, anyway, moving on to chapter 13, mm-hmm. which is a blue point of view chapter. Blue is helping Mora with some domestic tasks after school, while subtly or not so subtly inquiring about the true purpose of Neve's presence in Henrietta. They're rudely interrupted by a stranger demanding attention. The psychics come together as a group to administer the reading, but something feels terribly wrong as the Page of Cups Blue's card is pulled three times. Mm-hmm. And Mora and Blue both standing on the table makes me laugh. Right, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Blue couldn't reach right, the light bulbs right. even standing on the table. Yeah, Mora's taller than Blue because uh-huh. Blue, later when she actually gets to meet Artemis, says, with those jeans, I should have been taller. Uh-huh. I feel Blue's pain. <laughs> right, yeah. This whole first scene kind of reminds me of time in theater with sort of stage directions uh-huh. of give them something to do with their hands because right. really it's a talking heads mm-hmm. scene. But it's a great illustration of putting an action into a scene and using that action to kind of subtly build our understanding of the characters. Right. Even though changing the light bulbs doesn't have anything to do with right. the actual emotion. It makes there core. be like some kind of action in the scene. Right, right. They're not just chatter, chatter, mm-hmm. chatter, chatter. Mm-hmm. I like how it mentions the complicated process required at least three hands and tended to be left until most of the bulbs had burned out. And my, <laughs> my thought was, how many psychics did it take to change a light bulb? That's a pretty... Well, only one, technically, because Blue's not psychic. But yeah. Right. And also, like, that made me think procrastination... That's my nemesis as well. Right. Mora's body language here implies that she wants to be doing anything other than talking to Blue about what Neve's doing because it's all grimly and savagely gripped and wrestled. And it's just like uh-huh. such aggressive. She does not like, want to be shut talking off. about this. No, she does not want to be talking about this. And then Blue is like, family that comes home in the middle of the night? The look that Mora gives mm-hmm. her? I've seen that look before. We're just like... <laughs> You were talking about something that you're not supposed to be talking about. (laughs) You were putting your nose in Uh, other people's business. Mm -hmm. And you were born with bigger ears than I remember. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I thought that was a good phrase. Right. Kala was an irascible, sedentary (laughs) creature of habit. But Persephone tended to get caught in odd drafts and blow around. That is basically the two of them. Once again, like in five words, Uh pretty much the two characters. Yeah, I was Mm -hmm. like, "That's, that's perfect. So Welk, who we don't know is Welk at this point, or at least not from Blue's point of view, Welk barges in and men just really like to come in and insist that they're getting a reading, don't they? <laughs> they really do. Because at least the gray man offers to recite poetry in exchange. Uh-huh. And, okay, so Blue thinks 
he didn't seem like he was here to murder them, which is like, Jesus, Maggie, this is fucking savage. Yeah, really? <laughs> like, the gray man wasn't there to murder them either, but he was at least upfront about being a hitman later. Right. <laughs> like, savage. <laughs> And the laundry and bra bit where the laundry is just sitting out just makes me cackle. Right. Because, you know, Mora's trying to give Blue the stink eye about it. And, uh-huh. and Blue's just like having none of it. Like, I didn't expect some guy to be wondering through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's awesome. Persephone also just seems to appear out of nowhere. And her etherealness and otherworldliness just really seems to be so close to Noah. And question, okay, so obviously I posited the theory earlier that Persephone might be dead, which isn't actually the case because she drinks vodka. Mm-hmm. But does Persephone know that Welk has arrived or does she just simply overhear the voices in the kitchen? That's like, does she pick say. up on the vibe? Because, like, even if she's not dead, there is something, something yes. off. Oh, yeah. I don't want to say off, but, like, there's something different about her. She does not... Her exist on the same plane of reality it's true. is really what it comes down to just like noah is not existing on the same plane of reality right mm-hmm. and then persephone mentions that they can give Welk the triple reading mm-hmm. and Welk's like well what's that and it took blue a moment to realize he meant triple reading and not persephone right which yeah. you know legitimate <laughs> question i suppose on both accounts and then i love the line mara jumped off the table landing with enough force that the glasses in the cabinet rattled which is so funny when you remember blue jumping down the stairs and mora being like you, you don't need to run everywhere, everywhere. like you do, you do. Uh, and i mean they are so alike they really are yeah. And then, like, the line there explaining that Blue is actually just holding the light bulb. Right, I was like, right, right. oh, so that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Welk asks if the reading's going to cost more money. And Maura says, not if you change the stubborn bulb, the last one that they couldn't get. Fine, he said, but he sounded vexed about it. And, like, what a shitbird. Yeah. I'm 100% with Ronan on this one. <laughs> and then Persephone's, oh, dear, when she yeah. has to go get Kala is... Her- Yes. So funny. Her already small voice sounded smaller. Uh, uh, yeah, it makes me laugh too. Mm-hmm. Reminds me, like, I'm thinking Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. That's pretty good. <laughs> and then she goes the, up the stairs. Yeah. Her bare feet were soundless, and she's just always. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you might, you have something there, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely the bare, soundless feet foreshadows Persephone sneaking up the stairs and letting one of the stairs creak uh-huh. in the scene where Kala and Blue are searching Neve's room later. Right. So Mora asks Blue to help mm-hmm. with this reading. And we heard before that she only asks her to help for important readings. Right, right. And I'm thinking, why does she feel like this one is important? Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, Persephone thinks it's important, too, because why would she offer a triple reading, triple reading. Mm-hmm. if she didn't think it was important? And maybe maybe Mora is just taking her cue from Persephone. Yes, but they have some kind of bond, too, yeah. on that... I noticed that Welk barely even notices that Blue is there. Right. And I'm just like, that's just more of his inability to see anything outside himself. Right. That strikes me as maybe one of the reasons why he failed at this quest where right. Gansey, and why Gansey succeeds. Yeah, yeah. So he gets up on the table and he says, ah, giving the bulb a jerk. And I'm like, he's a jerk. He absolutely <laughs> is. He's more than a jerk. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. He has to keep it he has anonymous. To keep it anonymous. Mm-hmm. And she says, We're psychics, not strippers. <laughs> and it's such a callback to right. uh, Blue and Gansey fighting. <laughs> Which makes me laugh because later Gansey's like, We had a conversation about alternative professions for women. <laughs> and it's like Mora too has recently had a conversation about alternative professions for women. Uh-huh. Also, Blue may get her sort of disparaging opinions about sex workers from Mora. Mm, possibly. Yeah. I like the pointing out of the sign picture of Steve Martin. I, what, wh- why is she so obsessed with it? Why? She's so she, proud of it. Like, why? <laughs> I don't. It's just such a good character detail. But like, uh-huh. it, it has, it's nothing. so pointless. And, it, it, and like Colin Greenmantle, I think, also notices yes. this because he comments on it. Uh-huh. At least at least he's aware enough to comment on the fact that there's a Steve Martin photo. Mm-hmm. And then Kella's eyebrows, angry at being disturbed. The, my favorite minor character. Hands down. <laughs> Favorite minor character is Kala's eyebrows. eyebrows. Have it going on, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And okay, okay. Once again, shouldn't Kala know Welk? Because Kala works at Aglenby. It's like, what does she do? Like nothing. She, I, I don't I think know. She just sits because, in her office all day and doesn't pay attention to well, anyone. Okay, so what there. does she do at Aglenby? Where she doesn't know any of the students. She doesn't know Gansey's name. Mm-hmm. Come on. Or any of the teachers, because this town is absurd. I just think everyone in Henrietta has no object permanence. Uh-huh. Every agree. time someone walks out of the door, they forget that that person exists. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm expecting Blue to come back and be like, be like who are you? Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> Mom? Oh, you're my mother? <laughs> like, it just does not make... What does Kala do for Aglenby? Why doesn't Blue know Adam? Because, like, none of this my, mom, makes my mom knew sense. everybody in the entire school system. Yes, my mom, too. <laughs> my mom was also a teacher. She, like, couldn't... Yeah. No, no, no. This is, this is bullshit. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And then Persephone and Persephone's hair took a seat. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So good. <laughs> I can just imagine Persephone's hair, and it is a oh, magnificent beast. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Blue, as always, was a little apart. Uh-huh, and yeah. it's like, that's so fitting. Right. Kala's plum smile was positively fiendish. I just, mm. I love Kala. Kala's my favorite because she's basically Ronan. <laughs> yeah, she is. She is. I don't know why you love Kala and you don't love Ronan. They're basically I'm the coming same to person. love Ronan. Okay, good, good. Okay. <laughs> and Blue's thinking about Welk. Blue didn't think he was a skeptic. He was just skeptical of them. And why is Welk even here today? Okay. He's been in Henrietta for at least 10 years years, give or take. And he's only now showing up to the town psychic's house. Again, not seven years ago. This makes no sense whatsoever. Right. It makes zero sense. So the description of how the three psychics lay out the cards, Mm -hmm. it's so distinctly them. Right. Because Mora's deck is described as standard. Which is probably the writer way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And only as impressive as she made them. Right. And they're fuzzy around the edges and they're warm and comfortable. And I'm right. just like, yes, right. that's Mora. And then Kala's is sharper and crisper. Kala is sharp, like Ronan. <laughs> yeah. And and it mentions that this is a newer deck, and mm-hmm. she'd lost her taste for her old one. Right. And I'm just like, I'd like to know exactly what it is yeah. that happened. Yeah. It, I mean, decks can definitely start to feel off. It could pick up bad energy, or maybe it actually was a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but it's one not. Of those makes it's sense. not. Yeah, it, it doesn't explain. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Persephone's movements felt like sleight of hand or a ballet. She had a unique deck with spidery lines and a smudgy background. Mm-hmm. Even the cards themselves seemed otherworldly. I've always pictured Persephone's deck as a deck that she drew herself. Uh huh. Because people often do do that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I can totally picture that. Yeah. Blue thinks to herself that Mora had told her that it's hard to ask Persephone a question you didn't absolutely need to know the answer to. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why, though. Why does Mora say that? Is it because Persephone is actually astute or is picking up things that people may not actually want to hear about? Or is I think it... that may be it. Okay. Because, because see, like, that's, there's the, several that's times... the impression that I get uh-huh. is it's like... Not necessarily need to know the answer to, but are you ready to know what Persephone has Mm -hmm. to say? And the card interpretations here, we'll get into this like right. next next episode with our deep dive into, yeah. into tarot. But the interpretations and symbolism are absolutely the ones that I'm familiar with. And I wonder what spread they're using. Probably something of their own concoction. Yeah, it's probably, well, with a triple reading, I don't know. But it sounds like it's just kind of a past, present, future mm-hmm. type. Because they, they don't lay out as many cards as a Celtic cross. Right. Blue makes another observation on Welk, the overpowering chemical scent of a manly shower gel called blunt trauma. (laughs) This is the second time I'm like, Maggie, you are a fucking savage. Mm -hmm. This is uncalled for. Blunt trauma? I mean, I know it's just a play on things like Axe or something like that, yeah, but, but... But Noah! Yes, I know. Blood to trauma, no! <laughs> That's not okay, Maggie. <laughs> Mora, Kella, and Persephone can have conversations without speaking, and Blue also comments on this with the boys as well. And, okay, as they're doing the reading, Welk blames his mom for them losing their money. nothing to do with it. He's a murderer, an asshole, and a misogynist. It's like Mm -hmm. the triple threat of fucking assholes. (laughs) And then the line, strangely unpleasant, made me think it's just like, strangely unpleasant, the Barrington Welk story. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. So while the reading is going on, when the Knight of Pentacles is pulled, she sees the ley line symbol again for a moment. And and I'm like, that actually makes sense. She probably is actually seeing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Knight of Pentacles is cold and calculating and looking for something. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, well, it really is. Exactly what he is. Uh Yeah. It's unusual for the cards to agree exactly. Right. Because it's the three again, Mm -hmm. both the Knight of Pentacles and the Page of Cups. Three of them show up. Right. And Persephone only pulls two cards. She only pulls the card at the beginning, which is the Knight of Pentacles, and the card at the end, which is the Page of Cups. Right. So the only cards that are tripled are the cards that Persephone pulled. Right. Which is really, really stunning to me. Yes. And Mora is not happy about how this reading is going. She's Mm -hmm. not happy when Blue's card shows up. And I wouldn't be either because this reading is like dark and right, ominous. Right, right, So Blue sees her card show up three times. Blue felt there was no end to the fate she was tied to. And I'm like, yeah, there are quite a few that she's tangled in. Right. 
Mora ends the reading at this point. Good call. Mm -hmm. I think you should. Get him out of the house. Uh Uh-huh. And Persephone looks confused, and Kala is too, but she's excited for a conflict. Of course she is. Yeah. (laughs) Blue didn't recognize her mother's face, and Kala's all acid. Mora slams the door so hard that the dishes rattle yet again, which is an echo of when Welk arrived earlier and she jumped off the table. Mm -hmm. And Kala is imminently practical when she's getting his license plate number. I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I love their reactions once they kick him out. Mm-hmm. You know, Mora's like, I hope he never finds what he's looking for. Right. And Persephone's like, well, he's looking awfully hard. I'd rather think he'll find something. Right, right. And then Mora's like, you know, if you see him again, run away. And Kala's like, no, <laughs> no, you kick him in the balls and then run the other way. Right. Persephone says, I'd rather think he'll find something because later Persephone is the one that says you better find it first because he will find it Mm -hmm. and death is close yeah Yeah. absolutely Mm -hmm. all right moving on to chapter 14 it's a gansey pov chapter again Gansey travels back to the dusty trailer where Adam lives after school and is confronted with the physical repercussions of his late night phone call. Gansey and Adam fight, Gansey wanting Adam to leave home and Adam refusing. They finally resolve to visit the psychics as planned, only barely missing an altercation with Adam's father. Mm-hmm. I'll start out with something light. <laughs> this is going to be a tough chapter, you guys. It is. It's a heavy one. <laughs> it's like... Ah, the pig. How do I love thee? (laughs) With your loudness and your burning floorboards. (laughs) You do love the pig. I do. I mean, there is a huge nostalgia factor for me with the pig. Uh Uh-huh. Gansey thinks to himself, Gansey's siblings were rare and complicated species, and they didn't have to pretend to be something they weren't around each other. And I'm like, even Gansey knows that there are two Ganseys. Right. The the internal one and the one that he puts on when he slides his wallet into his chinos. Right, right. And I really love the relationship between Gansey and Helen. I do, too. Having younger brothers and knowing how protective I am of them, I Mm. I love Helen quite a bit. Yeah. Mm. Gansey didn't want to be bothered by something as trivial as his mom's <laughs> birthday. It's like, oh my god, seriously! <laughs> this woman brought you into the world. I know. Have a little bit of respect, you know. I know. <laughs> and she speak- pushed you out. Uh-huh. Right? And speaking of Helen. Helen did not need to be anything. Mm-hmm. She didn't have careers. She had hobbies that involved other people's lives. Can you even imagine? I know. How nice that would be? I know, right? I would love to have hobbies that involve other people's <laughs> lives. That sounds amazing. Gansey sees the kids on the side of the road and he has these feelings of, he doesn't know whether to call it pity or envy. And I'm like, it's both. Because he feels guilt at having it better than people, especially Adam. And he feels alone, even though he has a ton of friends who would do, like, anything for him. Right. Yeah. Most of them even have that shared experience of being an Aglumby. Right. He's like, oh, these kids have this shared experience. And I'm like, you have a similar thing with your friends. And you right. Don't even, mm. Right. His thoughts about the kids just makes me cringe. Because, damn, I live there. I mm-hmm. mean, Me too. Ugh. 
mm-hmm. and everywhere was dust. And Adam again wanting that dustless condo, right? Makes because so that's what he's always sense. known, right? He wants anything that isn't the trailer park, right? Basically, which is understandable, completely understandable. Helen making fun of Ronan and Adam just nope, ticks I don't me like off. This. Yes, yeah, not okay. It's mm-hmm. like she is doing the exact thing. Yes. That these kids were just doing. Right. And Gainsey is immediately made uncomfortable by it, rightfully so. Yeah, and I know that classism is obviously really one of the themes of the books. Right. This struggle, and I do believe that it is portrayed in a really visceral, solid, like Uh realistic way. And this is one of those times where it's like, oh, I like Helen. I like her a lot as a character. I do not like her right now. Right. When she says dad calls them worse things, it's like, what? Because don't make me hate the only good dad in this whole <laughs> mm-hmm. series, Helen. And, and it's like, oh, dad calls them worse things. That doesn't make it okay. That doesn't make it okay. That doesn't right. mean that you can call them anything. And for Gansey to think to himself, seeing his parents always reminded him of how little he'd accomplished. You're 17 years old, Gansey. You should be concentrating on graduating you high school. That's your accomplishment. Yes. And then he's uncomfortable with how many red ties he owned. He's uncomfortable with his Republicanness. Uh-huh. Or like, since he can't vote, having to right. represent Republicans. Mm-hmm. And then how he was slowly growing up to be everything Ronan was afraid of becoming. Mm-hmm. It's like harsh, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I can totally see the disconnect there. And when he hangs up with Helen, he says things might get ugly. He anticipates violence. Yeah. Which is just he knows, so he knows what's comfortable. And I kind of do both love Helen's teasing about Gansey. Like, I bet you're just cruising in front of the old Navy picking up chicks <laughs> playing. Like... I both love it and I'm really reminded of how divorced from reality Helen is Uh because... Yeah, she really, she really is. (laughs) The real world exists outside of where you are, Helen. Right. Gansey thinks about the idea that you had to pay for the beauty in Henrietta. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's how it works, Gansey. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty much true of anywhere, depending on your definition of beauty. Right. Gansey mentions that Adam's mother seemed old and hard-edged, and I'm like, a life like hers will do that to you. Right. And Adam's mother is never given a name, Mm -hmm. which is so indicative of how much she sublimated every distinct part of her identity. Right. That she's not even given a name. She's lost everything. She's lost everything. Thinking about Adam's parents, Gansey's like, they knew everything they needed to know about him before he even opened his mouth. I'm thinking, they think the same thing about you. Right. They think you're judging judging them them. too. It's classism defined. Uh Uh-huh. The whole second half of this chapter is just absolutely heartbreaking to me. Gansey's guilt and Adam's shame and like the description of the bruises and it just makes my heart hurt. Yeah. I wrote at the top of the page... This whole chapter makes me cringe and cry, uh-huh. you know, and hey, tiger, says Gansey. And that's my favorite thing. <laughs> like, I just love, like, it has a, so again, another, it has a nostalgia factor for me, but I'm kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and then Gansey couldn't control it. Not a single piece of it. 
including Adam. It's mm-hmm. like, welcome to the abuse cycle, Gansey. This is why Adam needs control is because uh-huh. nothing in his life is controllable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Adam emerges, the ripped knees of Adam's cargo pants and his faded Coca-Cola t-shirt. <laughs> I see him with the Coca-Cola t-shirt all the time, but not with the cargo pants, you guys. Step it up. Put the cargo <laughs> pants on him. The camo cargo pants. I actually saw a Coca-Cola t-shirt the other day. (laughs) Only it wasn't like just, I'm picturing Adams as being like a big logo. And this is all kinds of like tiny Coca-Cola logos. Just the big logo. uh And Gansey again demands basically that Adam leave home. And this is a very common first reaction to hearing about domestic abuse. Right. Not a good reaction, but it is extremely common. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're thinking, like, just get out of there. I want you to be safe. Yeah, that's not always the case. It's not always possible. Right. And then Adam says that rags to riches isn't a story anyone wants to hear until it's finished. And I'm like, arg! I'm just going to stab myself in the heart. <laughs> this is so painful. Can you please stop? Yes. Oh, my gosh. This whole conversation boils down to Adam is afraid that Gainsey's going to just abandon him and right. then he's going to be like out on his own with no support. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's afraid of losing I mean, all, all the stuff that he's already worked for. Right. The only things he has in his life are the things that he has done. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking that he feels like that means he has to put up with what he's going through for at least yeah. a few more months until he can finish another well, year. Another year. Another, another year. year. Yeah. There was no happy ending without passing grades, Gansey says. And this is so tough because he's not wrong. Right. He's feeling the right things, but saying the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. And then Gansey feeling so frustrated because he can't control this, like you like you were talking about earlier. And it's just like he, he so badly wants to help. And it's not his fight. Yeah. All he can do is be supportive. And, you know, he tries not very well, but he tries. No, no, he's not doing well. There are different ways to be successful, Gansey says. And it's like, like what, mister? I can fly in my own private helicopter anytime I want. Campbell Gansey the third. Uh Like, seriously, you have no fucking right to tell Adam that there are different ways to be successful. Right. And Adam says, I don't judge you for what you do, which is a lie. It totally Because is. Adam completely judges Gansey for what he does. Mm-hmm. And then Gansey is thinking to himself that he knew he had to make a difference. He had to make a bigger mark on the world because of the head start he'd already been given. Or he was the worst sort of person out there. And I'm like, yes. Can I get an amen? Amen. Recon- <laughs> recognize your privilege, Gansey. Definitely. Absolutely. At least he is recognized recognizing it uh-huh. but this is Adam and Gansey are arguing about money again and Gansey really feels like that's the only thing that he can offer and Ronan has said hey I'm rich and it doesn't bother me <laughs> it's like <laughs> Ronan again breaks the tension by being an asshole uh-huh. and this might be why pinch works because Ronan doesn't care. Right. Yes he has money but money is not this stumbling block 
to uh-huh. Ronan that it is that it is to Gansey, and mm. it's not that Ronan's not aware that he has money. He's grown up with the comfortable money, right. like when the Barnes is described as being comfortable. It's the comfortable money. Mm-hmm. He's not held to the same kind of standards, that right? Is. Right, and it's mentioned here. Adam held down three jobs, which is the factory, Boyd's, and the warehouse. Right. He and Blue both. Right. As we, yeah. yeah as yeah, we talked as about we said, Yes. They both have a billion jobs between them. Mm-hmm. Gansey says this was a conversation they'd had before. Entire days of arguments were replayed in the few moments of quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Success meant nothing to Adam if he hadn't done it for himself. Uh-huh. He needs to see that no one succeeds, succeeds on their own. Yeah. Like, nobody can do it by themselves. Right. The conversation about Gansey's concern for Adam's safety. Gansey is rightly concerned that this is going to end up deadly. He's like, oh, he'll kill you. And Adam tries to play it off. It's like, oh, you, oh, watch, you watch too many, many cop, cop shows. shows. Mm-hmm. And Gansey's like, no, I watch the evening news. Right. And then Adam admits that he's scared because right. his dad has a gun. And it's just yeah. like, oh, crap. Right. And it's like, yeah. You know, yeah he's so Gansey's not mm. wrong. Right. Gansey's absolutely not wrong. Yeah. And Adam knows this. He's afraid that his dad is going to use that gun. How much of it is fear for himself and how much of it is fear for his mom? And mom, and yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of tension there. Mm-hmm. And Ronan has offered to teach Adam to fight. Offered twice. Mm-hmm. Ronan. Ronan offered has offered something, something twice. twice. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole Adam's dad having a gun, this is the actual Chekhov's gun. Right. Because it does get used later. Uh-huh. Again, we have Adam feeling that taking any help from Gansey mm-hmm. is basically having Gansey just own him. Right. And I'm like, I get it, Adam, I do, but man, that hurts. Yeah, so many things survived here without really living. Mm -hmm. That is, hello, a fact of so many people's realities. Yeah. So many. And then just the fact that Gandhi, he doesn't know how to make it so, but he really doesn't want money to be a dividing issue between the two of them. It becomes very obvious when Gansey is thinking about this that Gansey and Adam... There's this concept of cultural bubbles uh-huh. and the overlapping of cultural bubbles. And it's described in this book called Coming Apart. It's by Charles Murray. Uh-huh. And he is, a, I think, a sociologist. Uh-huh. And so Adam grounds Gansey in a completely different reality. Right. And it, it expands Gansey's worldview uh-huh. to encompass a bubble that he wouldn't normally see. And it really right. does make Gansey a better person. It absolutely. And is. conversely, Adam being a part of Gansey's world really does give him something to strive for. Uh-huh. It really does show him what he can have if he right. is given those opportunities. Mm-hmm. They all make each other better. That's the point. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then we get to. Yeah. Lord. And then. This is where it goes off the rails. Uh huh. Because. Gansey says doesn't the know, worst possible yes, thing. Gansey doesn't know what else to do. And he's like... He's frustrated. He's uh-huh. angry. So is Adam. Yeah. And he says, you think your plans are going to keep working when you miss school and work because you let your dad yeah. beat the shit out of you? <laughs> let? Uh-huh. Gansey, fuck you. Uh-huh. Because fuck you. Yeah. And he's like, you're as bad as her. Fuck you again. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> think, like, you, you think, think you deserve, deserve it. it. And I'm just, I was just like... 
Holy crap, Gansy. I don't think there's... It's like, I know you're scared. I don't think there's a worse thing you no, could have said. No, There's absolutely nothing worse. Yeah. It's like, this burns me even more than, yes. than the argument with... No, this is, this is victim blaming in the absolute worst possible it way. It really is. And... Don't come here and pretend you know anything. I mean, I feel like Adam, you said Adam's outburst is really justified it here. It really is. Because <laughs> Gansey says, don't pretend you have anything to be proud of then. Mm-hmm. Really? Fuck Adam you has, again. Exactly. Adam he, has he so has much to be proud of. Everything to be proud of. And unlike the conversation with Blue, Gansey does not feel sorry that he said uh, this. And he's completely missing the whole point. Yeah. No, he's this is... He's completely missing why Adam feels the way he dies. No. And absolutely everything about this is the worst way that you can treat someone in this situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Ugh, God, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then Gandhi's sitting in the car by himself and he mentions that his cell signal had disappeared. Mm-hmm. And normally he would take it as a sign of paranormal right. stuff going on the ley right. line. But now he took it as a sign that he wasn't getting through to anyone. And I'm like, go with that. Because you need to change your tactics. Yeah, yeah. He needs to accept the metaphor on that one. I do wonder about, he says it could be surges in paranormal activity. And then I'm wondering if there's any correlation or relation to Welk concurrently getting the reading. Yeah. If if either Welk is drawing on the power of the ley line Uh or the psychics are drawing on the power of the ley line. They could be. And here we have another point where Gansey is just, he's so desperate to help Adam. It's like he imagined coming here one day and finding that Adam wasn't here, but in the hospital. Or worse, that Adam was here, but that something important had been beaten out of him. Even imagining it made him feel sick. I'm like, oh, me too. Yeah. It's like, that must be the worst feeling. I understand that, but why are you taking it out on him, Gansey? Exactly. Because I know you're a kid, but you're a smart kid. You could call a hotline. You could do some research on abuse psychology. Mm-hmm. You could go to your own therapist uh-huh. and talk about what's going on and how it makes you feel. But do not take it out on Adam. Exactly. CPS, for goodness sake. It could <laughs> be an option. It could be, yes. <sighs> And then Adam does come to Gansey. Uh-huh. And then Adam gets in the pig and Gansey says, I'm only trying to help. And Adam's like, I know I can't live with myself that way. Gansey didn't understand, but he nodded. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you need to do. Yes. You find yeah. that third way. Yeah. And there's just kind of a little quick mention. Adam's closed his eyes and his eyes are moving back and forth underneath his eyelids like a dreamer awake. Mm-hmm. And Adam says the psychic was the plan, right? Adam needs plans. He, he needs, needs something control. solid. He too is a scared kid. Mm-hmm. He has no control over his own life. No. Let him have the plan. Yeah. Gansey sees an unnameable something in Adam's eyes and I'm like is that you know is it rebellion or just his angry streak or the or even echoes of the power he finds in caves water right and Gansey calls it a risky gift 
He calls the compromise a risky right, gift. Right, the compromise. Yeah. Fierce and chilling is what he sees in Adam's eyes. Uh-huh. He's always afraid that that would eventually take over completely. And this does echo what I was saying in episode two, where it seems like Adam is somewhat set up to be a potential villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could have worked out that way. Yeah, there are a lot of clues set up where Adam mm-hmm. could have been a big bad And so they start to take off, going down the driveway, and they see Adam's dad coming at them in a truck. Robert Parrish was a big thing, colorless as August, grown from the dust that surrounded the trailers. Mm -hmm. And some of those are often how Adam is described as well. Right. What gets me is that Robert Parrish literally runs them off the road. Yeah, he does. Which is the most ridiculous hyper-masculine posturing. It's so territorial and it is so hateful. Yeah, I, I, I cannot stand him. No, 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 no. And then... Adam's breath stopped audibly. Adam was good at making things quiet. Mm-hmm. Jesus Again. Christ. Yeah. <sighs> Robert Parrish's eyes were dark and small, and Gainsey could see nothing of Adam in them. And I'm like, Adam sees it, and it yeah. and it terrifies him, because he does not want to be that. Right. But Gainsey just saw something dark in Adam's eyes less than three oh, minutes yeah. ago. Yeah, he just mentioned that. Yes, yeah. And then Robert Parrish spit out the window. That is so dismissive. So... Yes. <laughs> I hate him so much. I hate him. I, I hate, hate him, him so much. Ugh. And then Gainsey sees Robert Parrish and he's like, His heart thudded with anticipation and danger and the desire to shout everything he thought about Adam's father to Adam's father. And yeah, and Ronan actually does this and is the one who helps find the alternative arrangement. Again, Gansey was brought up to be the diplomat. Ronan Uh, was brought up to be the soldier. Yeah. Ronan is all physical and all like, you know, I'm going to do things. Yeah. Gansey could feel Robert Parrish's stare follow them. A more substantial promise of the future than anything a psychic might tell him. Mm -hmm. He's not wrong. Nope. Nope. All right, everybody. It's a tough one. <laughs> it only gets tougher until it gets better. Um, <laughs> we didn't cry. Nope. High five on that one. So Woohoo. High five. All right. So we are going to move on to the next segment, which will be the most valuable character. Woohoo. Unfortunately, we kind of know who we picked already, but I will go ahead and say... I know that Shannon originally anticipated that I would pick Kala's eyebrows. <laughs> but believe me, there are better chapters with Kala's eyebrows in the future. So Kala's eyebrows will have their time. They definitely need a most valuable character yes, at some they point. They will have a most valuable character at some point. But Welk. We are gonna pick Welk. And it's so it's so sad because we didn't know that we had both picked Welk. Uh-huh. And we actually had agreed on this particular one and we lost that audio. So 
Welk. Welk is creepy and he is just a terrible person. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, in a lot of ways, he drives most of the action in these three chapters. Yeah. <laughs> Not we, the third we, chapter, but. Yes. I mean, I feel like this is where Welk comes into his own. Yeah. And he actually is like, okay, this is what my mission is. Previous to this, he has been completely internal. He has not really interacted with the other characters. He's interacted with a couple of teachers at Aglenby. That's it. He hasn't interacted with anyone else. He has now stepped out into the world of Henrietta. Uh And we are now seeing Welk from a perspective outside of his own head. Right. And we are seeing that Welk is a fucking maniac. Uh-huh. Like this <laughs> is this is where he starts to feel like a terrible person. An, uh-huh. yeah. And this is where he starts to feel like an actual threat. Right. Yeah. So, Welk, Welk is going to be our MVC this time we around. Did it. Yeah. And I do have a Maggie watch this time. Yay, Maggie Yay! watch. <laughs> okay. So when this episode will be released, which should be November 16th, mm-hmm. Maggie will still have a few tour dates left to promote her new book, All the Crooked Saints, which we did do a special episode on. We did. Go so, listen to it. Yes, please listen to that if you're interested. And if you're lucky enough to be in the Midwest or some of the areas in the East Coast, I really do highly recommend trying to go see her. Mm-hmm. We would like to wish... If anyone happens to be going to the shows that are near her birthday, we would like to wish Maggie a very happy birthday. And which day specifically is that? That her birthday is the 18th, I believe. Okay. So we'll be releasing on November 16th and her Mm -hmm. birthday will be the 18th. Yay. She's a Scorpio like me. Yes. And Ronan. (laughs) And Ronan. <laughs> but if anyone happens to be at her last few signings, if you could please give a message to her from us. And she'll likely never hear this, obviously. But thank you so much for the gifts you have given us, your imagination, your wit, and your wisdom. The world is a brighter place, a funnier and stranger place with you in it. Oh, thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Maggie. And I also wanted to mention that she recently did do a very, very long post about piracy Mm -hmm. and how the piracy of Blue Lily, Lily Blue, is actually putting the release of the Raven King paperback and some other items in jeopardy. And I will be so mad if that happens, guys. I'm going to be so mad. So I wanted to bring up to anyone who might listen to this, but not actually be active in the fan community, that there is a group of fans who are getting together who are willing to buy books for people if they legitimately have a need and are not able to do so for themselves. And please email me at Substance Party, and I'll give you the actual email address later. If you are one of those people, and we are happy to give you access to these books, legitimate access, because we were planning on doing a special episode on the short story that Maggie was going to release in the paperback edition of The Raven King, mm-hmm. and that may not happen now. Yeah. And, and, and her. <laughs> yeah. So that makes us very upset, and it probably makes you very upset out there. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that we can do to make that happen we are doing so yep and then i also last thing wanted to give a another supporter shout out 
to a person who has gotten in touch with me. They found us through Twitter initially and have also found me on Tumblr and we've been having some great conversations and they've given me some just general things to talk about in the future and all of that kind of stuff and we've just had a good time. So That's I wanted That's so awesome. Yeah, I'm, and and they've been retumbling and retweeting and we appreciate their support more than Absolutely. I can possibly it's say. So nice to have people get in contact with us and yeah. that's why we're doing this. that's we why we're doing people. this we want to be here because we are also fans mm-hmm. and so i wanted to give a supporter shout out to alchemical words on tumblr Yay. thank you so much for everything that you've talked to me about in the past week i appreciate it all right and with that we are going to wrap up yeah and thanks for joining us today Our next episode will cover chapter 15, just chapter 15, of The Raven Boys with a deep dive on tarot. We're just doing one chapter because this is a really big chapter, really important chapter, and it's just the reading with the boys. We'll also do character intros on the 300 Fox Way Ladies. Mm -hmm. And just in case you weren't aware, our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of time. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters we'll be covering next. And we haven't been great about doing this, but that's because a lot of our chapters have been pre-recorded at this point. Mm -hmm. So we will start soliciting your contributions because we would really love to have conversations and questions and theories and fan casts and all of that kind of good stuff about upcoming episodes. Mm -hmm. Speaking of getting in touch with us, you can find us practically everywhere on social media at r-a-v-i-n-g-i-r-l-s raven girls on twitter at raven girls on tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com on facebook at facebook.com slash raven girls and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com and you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or via Gmail at substanceparty with all of the A's removed, S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our best to include source links. And hopefully people read those because we have a ton of links every Absolutely. single time. We will do our best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Steve Otter and Scholastic Incorporated. Do yep. not pirate. <laughs> Do they not. belong to Maggie. <laughs> yeah, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And until next time, whoop whoop, whoop Raven whoop. Girls! <laughs> That's right. a wrap. High five. <laughs>this is a teen plus podcast it will have canon levels of swearing sex no no sex no sex no sex (laughs) i love you navita but not that way (laughs) sorry this is what happens when i go off script